feel like for the next section of Luke, we can say that after each section, this is the Word of God, unfortunately. It's real, it's hard, it's true, it's there. We can't avoid it. Uh, we kind of have to, we have to sit in it. And, and, and the, I guess what we can be confident about is that God is good and His Word is good. So we kind of can wade through these uh, difficult texts knowing that God is good and, and seek what He's saying to us. Um, if you're a visitor with us, welcome today. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad uh, to see you, especially during these times. I feel like every other person is either got COVID or is isolating from someone they know who has COVID or is having a baby and so is isolating from the whole world uh, in order to be able to have a baby in one of our hospitals. It's uh, tough nowadays. And so those of you who are able through um, magic circumstances to be here this morning, it's great to see you. Um, Also just want to welcome NASA's mom, uh, Meryl, who's um, here from America. Uh, and so basically, if Deltacron makes it to Perth, she's to blame. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, she's wonderful and um, COVID negative. Uh, but just <laughs> it's just so great to have NASA's mom with us. Um, and they've been with King's Cross many times before. But for those of you who've joined in the last two and a half years, um, just special to have you with us. And I see everyone in my family is wearing clothes I didn't recognize. Uh, so you must have dressed them all this morning. <laughs> so, um, all right, let me pray and then we'll get into this text. Father God, thank you for the privilege that we have to meet face to face. Thank you that one day in heaven, there'll be nothing to stop us uh, being together. We just pray in these chaotic times that we would find grace for them, uh, real compassion for those who struggle. Um, real mercy, um, Lord, that even when we think about our leaders, that we would think about them generously, graciously, kindly. When we think about one another, we'd move towards unity and love. Jesus, you have said some difficult things, um, and present in this text is some of those, and we pray, God, that you would help us by your Spirit to understand them and to respond to them appropriately. We pray against condemnation and guilt. We know, Jesus, that you haven't come to condemn and bring guilt, but uh, to it, the condemnation you bring is to reveal sin and bring freedom and joy. So we thank you that the Spirit's work is to draw us towards yourself. Your burden is light. And so we pray that we would just hear your word this morning. In your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Billy Graham spoke about the return of Christ, saying it would be so revolutionary that it would change every aspect of life on this planet. Christ will reign in righteousness, disease will be arrested, death will be modified, war will be abolished, nature will be changed, man will live as it was originally intended that we should live. C.S. Lewis summarized Jesus' teaching on His return. If if uh, you didn't pick up on it, this text is about the return of Christ and being ready for it. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, these are the things we know. Number one, that He will certainly return. Number two, that we cannot possibly find out when. And number three, that therefore we must always be ready. And it's number three that this text focuses on. Um, We're not going to try and figure out today when Jesus is coming back so that we can plan for it. We just know that He's coming back, and uh, how should we live in light of it? How can we be ready for Him? 
one day Francis of Assisi, a great saint, was asked, uh, he was busy gardening, and someone came to him and said, Francis, if you knew that Jesus was returning today, what would you do? And he said, I'd continue gardening. Uh, and that's what we're going to try and find today, is that life of contentment and peace, where if someone were to say, what, were you, what would you do if you knew Jesus was returning tonight? You could say exactly what I'm doing. So what would you do if you knew that Jesus was returning on Friday? Is there anything we should think about in terms of Jesus' return? And so when we look at this text, we're going to see three things. One, Jesus' wise command. Number two, potential responses, which Jib uh, did a wonderful job highlighting. Thanks, John and Jib, for working so well together <laughs> to highlight the beating aspect of this text. <laughs> and number three, one glorious motivation. Uh, let me just say, obedience to Jesus needs no justification. Jesus is Jesus. We don't need reasons to obey Jesus. And yet, in this text is a, is a glorious justification that comes to us from Jesus. And, and I don't think anyone in their wildest dreams could have imagined it. But it comes from Him. And so we receive it, even though He doesn't need a reason. So number one, Jesus' wise command. Um, what are you usually doing around 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning or 6 a.m.? Most, uh, let, let, just go with what I'm probably trying to get at, which is sleeping, right? <laughs> so, some of you are like, I can see in your eyes, fear, like, how did he know? <laughs> I'm just trying to point out sleeping. Uh, whatever you thought, you need to take that to the Lord later on uh, and share it with a friend and pray together. But I, I was just meaning sleeping. If you came to my house, you would have found seven people sleeping last night between a little earlier than 10 p.m. and a little later than 6 a.m., uh, most of us. So most people would be asleep, and that's okay. Jesus accepts that nighttime is a good time to sleep, and He even sleeps Himself. Um, in fact, sometimes it looks like He takes naps during the day. Um, he's so tired that He kind of falls asleep at the worst of times. Some of you look like that's the point you're going to take from the sermon. <laughs> you can leave now. You've got what you came for. Um, I can sleep at, uh, during the day. Jesus took naps, so can I. What would Jesus do? He'd nap right now. Jesus isn't against sleep. In the Old Testament, um, the, uh, the writer of Psalms 127 says, It's useless for you to work so hard from early in the morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to His loved ones. Uh, it's part of being a Christian and walking with God that we have rest, that we have sleep, that we are looked after. And so, the, you know, Jesus comes and, and supports this and He backs this. But the fact is, if if uh, if God gives us sleep and advocates for us to have rest, then it's pretty serious when Jesus says in His parable, stay dressed for action. It's something we should go, hey, this is unusual, and Jesus is saying we need to do it. It's important. We need to pay attention. There's an expectation in Jesus' command. On Friday night, unbeknownst to my children, their grandma was arriving from uh, the United States. And they went to bed. Fortunately, Saturday was Liberty's birthday, and she had asked that all of her family would sleep with her in the lounge, uh, and, and they accepted, which meant we had a room to put uh, their grandma. And um, I, I wonder if you think, she was arriving at 11 p.m. I wonder if you think Nas would have let me um, put on my pajamas and go to bed at 10 p.m., which would have been really reasonable on most occasions. But there would have been no chance. If she saw me uh, slumbering and resting, she would have said, No, Mark! <laughs> She's arriving. You need to stay dressed for action. You need to get her. Our longing is almost fulfilled. Our joy is going to be complete. 
stay dressed for action. Nine years and one day ago, um, Liberty was born. So this last night, two nights ago. And um, Nasia woke up in the middle of the night. She's our fourth one for the visitors. And at some point between one and four, closer to one than four, the husband becomes the expert. <laughs> Although what he did to get you there lasted not very long. Uh, he becomes the expert of all things babies. And so fourth baby, by that time I was baby Einstein. She woke up and said, I'm going into labor. And I said, no, you're not. Um, call the nurse. She'll support what I'm saying. So she called the nurse hotline that she shared what, and, and fortunately the professional nurse agreed with my diagnosis that she probably wasn't, but uh, decide for yourself, you, you, it's your fourth child. And she decided that she was. And so she said to myself and her mom, uh, who had come for that as well, uh, she said, I'm going to the car and I'm waiting for you there. And she went outside, stood, it was 2 o'clock in the morning, 1 o'clock in the morning, she went outside, stood in the driveway, looked up to heaven and said, Lord help, I'm going to have my baby in the car. <laughs> um, and she was saying to us, get dressed for action, it's happening. It's not okay to just slumber and sleep. It's not okay to just go on with your norm. Something's changed, you need to dress for action. Her mum replied, do I have time to wash my hair? <laughs> Um, to which the answer from NAS, which is normally compliant, was, no, you need to dress for action. This is happening. We got to the hospital, and NAS was holding liberty an hour later. Our joy was fulfilled. Our longing had come. Fortunately, NAS knew that we needed to be dressed for action. Being ready for someone's uh, return is a wise thing to do. It's a wise practice, and this is what Jesus is asking us to do, to be wise, even if it's in the middle of the night. The servants in this parable are to be so ready that when the master comes knocking, they, they can immediately grab the door handle, fling the door open, and say, welcome, master, your home is ready for you. The master's gone off to a wedding feast, and, and Jesus picks that kind of feast, I think to point to Revelation, but I think even more because it points to the unknown. Wedding feasts could go on for days. You, you, just, you just didn't know when they would end. And so I think Jesus picks that one so that they have a sense of, He's coming back, that's for sure, when we don't know. But have your, door, have your hand on the door handle almost ready for when He knocks. We have a, Nas and I had a 10-year plan seven and a half years ago. And uh, not everything has gone according to plan. Um, but some things have only happened because there was a plan, because there was a vision for the future. Um, in the last 10-year plan, we imagined uh, Nas, who hadn't uh, had any education beyond year 12 at that time, but had had four children, so I guess that in itself is a great education. Um, we imagined that she would, this mother of, of um, four small people, would be a, a midwife, and to do that, she would need to be a nurse. So we imagined that she would study, and we imagined in our, at the end of our 10-year plan, Zeke would be in year 12, and she would be finishing up her studies so that she could be, to some degree, emotionally available for the drama that year 12 brings. Um, and when we look at it now, seven and a half years later, we're tracking with that aspect. He will still be in year 12, God willing, and she will be kind of reaching the completion of her studies, God willing. And that's exciting. But that's a 10-year plan. Imagine you had a much longer one. Imagine that Jesus, which he did, 
told us how everything ends and what everything was going to be like and that we could plan towards it. Imagine how that would change. And all I'm trying to show you here is that when you really have a vision, you can adapt what you're doing today in order to be able to get to it. And Jesus has told us exactly what it's going to be like, well, exactly enough so that we can rearrange today to direct ourselves to get there. So how do we get ready? How do we get dressed for action? How do we keep our lamps burning? Paul writes, When Christ is your life, who is your life appears, then you too will appear with Him in glory. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. That sounds like a beating. In these uh, you too once walked, and when you, were li- when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and dirty language. Uh, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices <coughs> and have put on the new self, which is being renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become, uh, ju- and become like Him. Put on, then, as, chosen, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another's faults and forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Whatever we wear says something about what we're expecting. If you um, think about going to a wedding, you would dress (laughs) appropriately. I say that, except that we went to a wedding, our whole community group went to someone's wedding in our community group, a very formal wedding. Uh, in a very nice cathedral, and someone in our community group arrived in shorts and Birkenstocks, <laughs> and they only realized once they had got there that it was a wedding, uh, that that was inappropriate. It was like, oh yeah, this isn't, it's not like not at the beach. I should have dressed differently. None of us had to point that out, and none of us did. We all kind of try to cover their nakedness. But we all saw the inappropriateness. There's nothing wrong with their clothes. There was something wrong with their clothes given the occasion. Um, and we went to a kid's party yesterday, Liberty dressed up like a princess unicorn. There's nothing wrong with that on occasion. There's other times where that would be, well, there's, there's actually never a wrong time to dress up like a princess unicorn. But you get the gist of what I'm saying. And so whatever you wear shows what you're preparing for, shows where you're going, what you're going to. Last night on the, we were going out somewhere and I saw people walking around with Fremantle scarves. That's how I knew Frio was, had a game. That's how I knew uh, the Dockers were playing. Uh, I won't tell you how the game ended in case you haven't caught up with it, but it's worth watching if you have the opportunity. But it told me where they were going. Uh, I can tell you. I've never met met these people ever in my life. I just drove past them. But I could have told you they were walking to the train. They were going to get on the Fremantle line all the way to the city. They would stop there. Then they'd carry on a little bit more to Optus Stadium. Then they'd walk out and they'd go into the Optus Stadium and they'd watch the Fremantle Dockers. How did I know? They were wearing a scarf and a gurney. I might be wrong, but I guarantee you they watched the game. So Paul says, uh, we're, not always, we're not always dressed for action. Sometimes we dress for the wrong action. The, all the things we're supposed to take off tell us what we're preparing for. You know, if, if I'm wearing rage and anger, what am I preparing for? I'm preparing for a fight. I'm not preparing for peace. Right? So he says, you know, take these things off. They, they kind of show you what you're thinking about and where you're going. And when you're inappropriately dressed, just, you know, just get a rebuke from someone or look at yourself in the mirror and say, hey, this isn't right. Just take it off. 
and then get dressed as, as we should appropriately for where we're going. There's some things we take off and set aside and there's other things we put back on. And so he gives these lists. You can um, put them up, Ryan, if you don't mind. He's, he gives these lists and they're kind, of, they kind of, I'm not saying they're comparable, but I think Paul's smart enough to go, hey, look, instead of this, wear this. Instead of that, wear that. Don't read too much into that, but, but it's fantastic. I've put others in brackets there because what, I'm, what I think is amazing is that when Jesus talks about the righteous life, how we walk with Him, the way of Jesus, being an apprentice of Jesus, it always, worshiping God, living for God, always ends up in some horizontal relationship. You can't just love God and not love other people. It's not there. You can't go, oh God, I'm so glad we have peace and I don't need to have peace with my brother and sister. It's not biblical. And here's Paul going, the way of Jesus, when you walk with Jesus, when you dress for action, what it looks like, I've put others next to every single thing that can have a relationship this way. And I think you could probably add it to be thankful. You could certainly add it to dirty language. <laughs> dirty language is much less fun if no one's around. I mean, it's mu- you know, it seems to be used mostly against others, is what I'm saying. So being dressed for action, a life that's ready for Jesus' return, has this, you know, you can go to the next slide, Brian, has this Jesus above all, looks like others before me. Do you want to put Jesus above all? If the answer is yes, the most practical way to do that is put others before yourself. So I'm still trying to answer the question, what does it look like to be dressed for action? I think you can see some of it. Don't put too much pressure on it. Remember Francis of Assisi was gardening. He was going to see Jesus with dirt under his fingernails. That's fantastic. He was ready. There's a few of you here who would love Jesus to return while you're gardening. From heaven to heaven. There's others of us who feel, would feel like we've just been rescued from hell. Thank God you came back. <laughs> but being dressed and ready for action isn't a life of spiritual intensity that's so impossible to keep up. It's not unnatural. It's living in the righteousness of Christ, doing the will of Christ, by God's grace, during God-given times, in God-given spaces. You can't be everything, all the time, everywhere, to everyone. What you can be is what God is making you to be where you are right now. does look countercultural. It's not joining the rat race. It's not competing in the marketplace. (coughs) It's not defending your reputation. It's not pulling others down to get up. It's not counting others' faults against them or reciting their faults behind closed doors. It's not desiring what God doesn't desire for you. It's not looking at, at someone else's body for your own pleasure. It's not giving the death stare when the stupid pedestrian starts walking across the road and forces you to slow down at the corner of Rockaby and Hatesbury on Thursday. <laughs> it's not wanting a hole to open up in the ground and swallow the guy up in front of you in line at Farmer Jack's who won't stop looking at his phone and stops paying attention to the queue. It's been instinctively excited by the opportunity when someone says, could you help me? 
mean, I've just basically listed a bunch of things that I struggle with. And maybe you do too. It's countercultural, but it's not spiritually intense. I've heard people say that even in, if Christianity isn't real, at least it's a good way to live. Have you ever heard that? Even if this whole thing's made up, well, at least it's a good way to live. Here's, here's a few thoughts on that. When someone offends you and does wrong against you, and instead of getting justice, instead of getting angry, instead of you graciously and freely and mercifully lean towards them and you forgive them, so much so that they feel released from guilt and shame or any punishment. When you think about that action, really, I want to say that's not worth it if Christ isn't returning. When lust knocks on your door and you see its allure and its passion and you hear its promise of pleasure and you choose instead to view others as God's sons and daughters and you rebuke your heart and mind and you turn instead to prayer, I want to say that whole effort is worthless unless Christ is returning. When someone irks you, frustrates you, they're so insensitive towards you, and you dig deep to remain gentle towards them, and through some miracle you gently are enabled to love them, that, I want to say that effort's not worth it unless Christ is returning. When you lean yourself towards someone, you pray for them, you might fast for them, you petition heaven for their cause. Behind closed doors, you advocate for them. You seek their best. Yet they point fingers at you and cast judgments on you. I want to say it's not worth it unless Christ is returning. In other words, the Christian life without a return in Christ isn't worth it. It cannot be the reward itself. It cannot be that we find out on our deathbed Christ is not real, He's not returning, and we'd go, oh, well, that was worth it. It's not the reward itself. It can't be. There must be another motive. Here's the four responses, just quickly, potential responses. Firstly, there's the faithful servant. Peter's confused. Peter goes to Jesus, who are you talking about? Are you talking to us? Are you talking to the Pharisees? Are you talking to the 12, to the 72? what's happening, Jesus? What are you saying? Because it's pretty tough. What are you saying? So Jesus gives him a response. Jesus responds to him and says, look, there's these four, and what, he's, what Jesus is definitely saying is he's talking to Christian leaders. He's definitely talking to the 12. But he's talking to the 12 being overheard by the crowd. And so that's often how Jesus teaches. The, what we can't get away from is that if you're a leader of people, this is definitely for you. But also, if you have heard the message of Jesus, you also have heard this, and you should pay attention to it. So you have the faithful servant. Blessed are, uh, Jesus says, blessed are those who hear God's word, and they do it, in Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. So these are the people who are ready, who dress, they're expectant, they're waiting, they're living and waiting for Christ's return, they're putting off things, they're putting on things, they're walking in the rhythms of grace, they're keeping an eye above, they're looking for opportunities in front of them to show God's kindness and love, they're dealing with sins, they're repenting and praying, 
Um, if at any moment Jesus returns, those are the ones who are ready to throw their hand on the door and say, finally, we've been waiting. Welcome. Um, Jesus above all, others before me. You can read that on their life. You don't need that on their t-shirt. Unbeliever, the question is, if you're, are you ready for His return? Do you believe? Do you believe it? You know He's coming back. Believer, are you ready for His return? Is there anything in your life you need to fix today? And leader, are you graciously keeping His house eager and ready for His return? Are we casting people's minds and eyes and hearts? Are we leading people to think about His return? Or is, do we have some other kind of vision or mission or purpose or discipleship strategy that points into something else primarily before His return? There's the unfaithful servant. He's the one uh, who's denied, rejected, and forgotten Jesus' will. He's forgotten that Jesus is coming back. They take life as they please. In, it, it spoke, uh, the Bible speaks of those in Judges. It says, they had no king in the land, so each person did as they saw fit. These are those who you might say, do you know that, do you know that the Bible says, or do you know that the word teaches? And they might go, yeah, I know, but it's not for me. Oh. Well, Jib and John work together to pause and let us know what this is going to be like. <laughs> um, these are going to be cut in two and put with the unfaithful. There's no, greater, there's no greater rebuke in the Bible than to be called the unfaithful. These are going to be cut in two and put with the, the, the idea in the parable is not that they're dead. Somehow, they, they, it's the worst punishment that a Jew could imagine a, a person would be cut in two and, and, in the, yeah, and then they're put with the unfaithful. Wow. From the master's servant to numbered amongst the unfaithful. Uh, that's the worst stumbling and falling possible. Are we ready for his return? Number three, the careless servant. They knew what the master wanted, and it's not that they were like actively pursuing it, uh, the opposite, but they just were indifferent. They just were lazy. They just didn't get on with it. They just didn't really plan. They just went to sleep. They're just spiritually dead. They're just, you know, I'm not that kind of person. You know, there's those churchy kinds and the non-churchy kinds. There's those who kind of lean in to things and those who don't. Well, Jesus just kind of flatlines and goes, yeah. And then the master returns and he looks into our hearts and he sees what's there. Just kind of careless. There's, there's just a high degree of self-interest. Jesus says that they're going to receive a severe punishment. And then there's the ignorant servant. The servant didn't really know. They hadn't been well discipled. Maybe they joined King's Cross and Mark and Josh forgot to preach about Jesus for six months and then he returned. And they were like, what? My pastor's never told me that. He's coming back? Why didn't they prepare me? And Jesus goes, well, you'll receive a light punishment. How gracious. This is what you need to see. When Jesus returns, each person gets ultimately the natural end of what they desired. That, that's, that's, I, I love that um, Keller has this answer to what is hell like, and he, and he refuses to kind of give the details in, the, in this one particular answer, but he says what, what we know it's definitely like is this, the, the complete absence of God. Hell is you getting what you want. I want a life without God. I want to pursue my will. Okay, Jesus comes. Well, here it is. You get it. Well, I don't want the end of it. I don't want where it leads to. 
you, you only get kind of where you're heading. You get to your destination. What is the motivation to remain ready then? It can't be punishment. That's not punishment. It's here, and I just want to say it's not punishment. Punishment is real. The, the, the severi- the, the, Jesus isn't, that's real. It's there. Can't get away from it. But to, to live a certain way in fear of punishment or to try and avoid punishment, doesn't that sound like self-interest again? That doesn't sound like love. If my kids only obey me because they're trying to avoid the consequence, they want to watch the movie tonight and they know if they don't take out the trash, they won't be allowed to. That sounds like self-interest, not love. Not something glorious. So what's the glorious motivation? Yeah, let's get to it. Number three, the glorious motivation. Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, in verse 37, He will dress himself. That's the master. The master will dress himself for service and have them, the servants, recline at table. And he, the master, will come and serve the servants. What? I challenge you to find a more surprising and wonderful scripture in the whole of the Bible. Find me a verse that's more shocking and wonderful. You won't. This is unimaginable. If Jesus didn't say it, we couldn't ever ask for it. Jesus is returning, creator of this world, king of glory, the one before whom all fall down and worship him when they see him. The roar in heaven when he walks makes the MCG sound like a library at the grand final. The ground will shake as people give him thunderous praise. Yet, Jesus, the Master, will dress himself for service and invite his servants to sit at a feast he has made for them and he will serve them. You go, how can that be? Well, let me just point to something that lets us know this is in all likelihood true. Not only because Jesus started off that portion of his teaching saying truly, which is a way in that uh, age to get people's attention. Now, the thing I'm about to say is the very truth. Not only that, that he's believable, but this. How do we know that the king of glory would dress himself for service? And lead us to a feast and serve us. Well, we know that it's true because the King of glory and majesty, the creator of the world, put on humanity. Now, if that's not a step of a master putting on clothes for service, I know no other. And he dressed within the limitations of humanity and he wore life and he did life in our place. And then he went to the cross. If that's not service, I know none in our place. And he bore the wrath of God against sin. If that's not service, I know none. And through that, he was put to death and raised to life, resurrected. If that's not service, I know none, because through his resurrection, he invites us into an eternal life, a feast of life through him. If that's not service, I know none. So how can we trust him about his return? 
because he returns exactly like he left. A kind king who leans himself to his subjects and bends himself towards them and does whatever he can for their good. And once he had to deal with sin for our good. But that's dealt with. The next feast isn't on the cross. Let me tell you about the next feast. John says, <coughs> John was able to see a vision of heaven and was told to write down what he sees for our benefit. John says, this is what I saw. There was a voice, I heard a voice from the throne and that voice said, praise God and all his servants, all who fear him, for the least to the greatest. Let's just pause. Isn't heaven wonderful? Uh, the Bible, the theological principle is you always, the, the things mentioned first are always of first importance. In our culture, that means we would have said from the greatest to the least. We would have started from the top and worked our way down. Not in the Bible. Heaven starts with the least to the greatest in worldly terms. From the least to the greatest, praise God, there was a sound from a great multitude. They sounded like a roar of a mighty wave breaking on the shore or the crash of thunder saying, Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad. Let us give Him glory, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's the feast. It's not a feast of salvation. It's a wedding feast, a feast of union. Jesus, um, of the Lamb, Jesus and His bride has made herself ready. She has been given the finest pure white linen to wear, linen that is bright and pure. This is the righteous deeds of God's servants, saints. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast. These are the true words that come from God. Look how concerned Jesus is that we know truly He's going to come and He's going to put on service and He's going to take us to a feast and He's going to serve us. And look how concerned the, uh, the speaker in Revelation wants John to know these are the true words of God. This is going to happen. If there is one thing that we learn about Jesus when He returns, it's that He's kind. If you know nothing else from the Bible, it's that Jesus returns and He is kind. We have a kind King. Almighty, yes. Omniscient, yes. Omnipotent, yes. Eternal, yes. Name above all names, yes. The name at which everyone will, will bow, yes. Glorious, yes. Majestic, yes. Worthy, yes. Holy, yes. But the one thing we'll see in His return is His kindness. Jesus will bend Himself towards us. He will use everything I've just said, which is in His character, in His nature. He will use everything in His unlimited power for our good. He will do everything that is possible to do for our good. He will heal us. He will restore us. He will redeem us. He will cleanse us. He will purify us. He will bless us. He'll satisfy us. He'll fulfill every longing. There is nothing that won't be done, that can be done for our good. He will leave no stone unturned. He will do it all. This is His grace. 
This is his kindness. Waiting for Jesus will cost you everything. Jesus puts the servants in the middle of the night. It's not comfortable. It's not ideal. It's not usual. Waiting for Jesus will cost you everything. It will be a life that is difficult to understand. Why are you forgiving others? Why are you being patient? Why are you bending yourself to serve others? Why are you not putting yourself first? Why are you not being more ambitious? Why are you not being more competitive? It just will, it just will counteract many of the values of our culture and our day. We'll press against them. It'll be difficult to understand. It'll cost you everything. But you will gain more than you could ever buy. Your longing will be filled. Your comfort will be made whole. And your joy will be met. Are you ready to wait? Mm -hmm. Let me pray.